Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. So uh, the fire's kind of crazy, huh? Did you notice the smoke this morning when you came? I want to put a positive spin on that, okay? Anytime you read in Scripture where smoke filled the temple, it was a good thing. So I'm anticipating good things today because this place is smoky, okay? All right. Ephesians, my favorite book in the entire Bible. You've probably heard me say that if you've been around here many, many times. Because in, in six average, not all too long, chapters, the, the Apostle Paul says some of the most important stuff to help us understand, and, and even more importantly, to live out the Christian faith. I think Ephesians says more about that than any other book in the Bible. Um, I know that's a strong statement, it's a strong opinion, and it's my opinion, but I know I'm right. So dive into the book of Ephesians on a regular, regular basis. For the sake of both understanding and remembering what this book is all about, I think it can be boiled down to three main points, okay? Three main topics in this book that Paul covers, and I believe he covers them very strategically because they're covered in order. All of them are important, but it's foundation that he lays, and then the next layer, and then the next layer. There's a great sequence and wisdom in what he says here. The first three chapters do an amazing job of teaching us, of reminding us of who we are in Christ. That's what Paul lays out as the foundation of this whole book. And it's about what God has done for us in and through Jesus that makes us new and different people. Then in chapters 4, 5, and the first half of 6, Paul talks about how we should live our Christian lives. However, he comes at that from what I think is a radically different perspective, okay? Living the Christian life is not a new set of performance rules and regulations that's laid out for us in the New Testament. It's not ever to be seen as a payback, okay? Now, Jesus came, he died on the cross for your sins, so now you owe God this, and this is how he expects you to live. It's, it's not a way that you have to prove yourself to God, that, that you love him or, or that you're good enough to earn his kindness or to deserve his grace, okay? Paul is clear, and he hammers this point over and over and over again, that the way to live your Christian life is to see it as a byproduct of yielding to that life of Jesus that's already in you. That's why he starts with who you are in Christ, and when he starts to talk about how to live this Christian life, you see it that way. You see it that your behavior is the fruit of Jesus alive and in you. By the Holy Spirit. You see, we're not called to live by striving to perform or live up to a, an expectation. We live by yielding to the life and power that God has placed in us through faith in Jesus and by the residence of the Holy Spirit. You see, the truth of the gospel and more pointedly, the, the message of this book, Ephesians, is who you are in Jesus should empower you to live the way God has called you to live your life. You see, if that's not the message, then it's a free gift that you have to earn. Did you hear what I just said? 
And are you as confused as I am even in saying it? If you have to earn it, then it's not what? It's not free. It's, it's not a free gift. But you see, Paul is so clear. God is not giving us a new set of expectations that we have to try to live up to. That's not good news. That wouldn't be good news. It's who you are in Jesus that empowers you to live this life that God has called you to. But you know, the sad thing is, I think there are still way too many Christians who don't see it that way. They think that the message of the New Testament is all about living up to what God expects of you through your hard work and self-determination. You see, the wonderfully freeing good news, though, of this book is you are never going to be able to live a victorious, obedient life apart from Jesus living that life through you and Jesus being the one to empower you to live in that victory. He's got to be the source of life and victory and living out this walk that we're called to. Well, today's message shifts to the, the third topic in this letter, okay? It's still in the area of how we're called to live our lives as Christians in this fallen world. But, but now Paul shares a new revelation of just how vitally important it is to live an empowered life in a fuller, deeper reality than ever before because, as we're about to read, he is explicitly clear that you need to walk in the power of God because you are in a war. Do you know that you're in a war? You are in a war, church, with a very real enemy who has designs against you. So let's see what Paul has to say. Let's read the text, and then we'll dive in and take a deeper look at what it has to say. I'm starting in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. Now, before we start unpacking those verses, I, I did think of something else. There's an even easier way to remember what this book is all about, okay? There was a Chinese pastor and theologian back in the 1930s and 40s whose name was Watchman Nee. And Watchman Nee wrote a book on Ephesians. I think it was a 70-some page book. It wasn't long. It was pretty concise. But Watchman Nee boiled this book down to three words. How many of you have the ability to remember three words? Good. If you didn't raise your hand, we will pray for you after the service because I am confident that God wants to give you that ability. All right. Here are the three words. Sit, walk, stand. Say those with me. Sit, walk, stand. Say them out loud with me. Sit, walk, stand. Very good. When he used the word sit, he was talking about settling into your position in Christ. Understand what it means to be in Christ. Understand, know, realize all that God has done for you in the Lord Jesus. Walk. It's all about how you walk out this Christian life, not in your own effort, not in your own willpower, but how we walk out this Christian life in the power 
and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then stand. That's what today's topic is about. Realize the spiritual battle that you're in against a very real enemy and stand your ground. Walk in Christ's victory. And that's what the last part of this book is all about, okay? So let's dive in at verse number 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When Paul uses that word finally, he's, he's not saying in closing, but rather it's more like, hey, this is the last most important thing that you need to realize and do in light of all I've said to you so far. So in light of everything I've said about who you are in Christ and how you walk this walk, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, I want to remind you of something that we've seen consistently throughout this book. When Austin's been preaching it, the, the little bit that I've been preaching it, all throughout this book, this is the message. God's expectation is not that you have to do something in your own strength. Paul doesn't say to you, hey, be strong in the Lord. Like it's on you, up to you, to figure out how to do that. The calling here, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that's where the emphasis goes. And the calling is access the strength, access the power of Christ by the Holy Spirit that's already where? Where is the power of the Holy Spirit? It's in us. Romans 8.11 says the same spirit that raised, raised Jesus from the dead dwells where? Lives where? In us. So the call here to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the strength of his might, is to access that life, that power that's already within you. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me tell you. You see, this idea, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, is the same idea that's conveyed in a very wonderful and pretty well-known promise of Scripture that we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Let me read that for you. It's, it's such an amazing promise from the Word of God. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You see, too often I think people think to wait on the Lord, it's like this. We just sit around and we twiddle our thumbs and we just are waiting for Jesus to show up. Newsflash. Jesus already showed up. Huh? He's here. He's everywhere present, and he's present within us. So that word wait upon the Lord doesn't mean you just kind of sit and you wait. Literally, that word in Hebrew means to stretch and to twist and to wrap around something so that you become a part of that very thing. It, it, it implies you are so woven together with the Lord, that you can hardly tell where you end and he begins, or where he ends and you begin. It's the same idea that Jesus talks about when he tells us we need to abide in the vine. There's this absolute interconnectedness from which we receive this strength that Paul's calling us to. I got a little aside before we move on. It, it ties to the message, believe me. Since I had shoulder surgery a while back, I've been really limited in what I can do in terms of how much I'm supposed to lift and any manual labor that I'm supposed to do. So when I thought about Serve Loveland, Faith in Action this year, literally there's not much physically that I'm, I'm allowed to do or supposed to do. So as I prayed, I thought God was, was calling me 
to drive around town for a couple hours and pray at the different schools. So I drove with um, Jim Cudmore, went with me. We had a great time yesterday. But we spent several hours just driving around and parking in parking lots and, and praying at the schools. What I want to tell you is, when we were at Thompson Valley, there is a sign at the main entrance that says strong. Just the word strong. And I felt a quickening in my heart, in my spirit. Uh, the Lord saying, pray that people don't just come in here and think, yeah, we are Thompson Valley strong. Eagle power. No, can't rather pray that they would live out and realize Ephesians 6.10. That strength is in the power of the Lord not in personal strength. That people, even when they get out of their cars, and whether it's a student or a teacher, and walk through those doors, that that word strong would encourage them to seek God for his strength. And that they would realize in the power of God, the Lord's desire in that school is for his people to be difference makers in that place. Now, it happened at Thompson Valley, but I, I want to say this morning, I believe that's God's heart for every student, every teacher, every administrator in all of our schools, that in this new school year, whatever it's going to look like, that we have a new paradigm shift. We're not just going to teach kids. We're not just going to get an education. We're going, we should be going to be difference makers in those schools. Wow, that's a big order. Yeah, we're going to need the power of God to do that, aren't we? Absolutely. But that's what I felt so strongly in my heart. God wants this to be a year where in the strength of the Lord, we make differences in those places. All right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, next week, Austin's going to start talking about the armor of God. So I'm not going to steal any of his thunder today. But you need to come because... Understanding how to walk in the strength of the Lord and his power has a lot to do with understanding what that armor is all about. So come back next week so you can have a greater understanding and a greater ability to appropriate what God has given us here in this next powerful portion of Scripture. But the call to you and me here is to put it on, okay? To put it on. That is talking about not only being furnished with God's, God's armor, but that word put on, this is amazing to me, the thread that runs through Scripture. It also means to be enveloped with something. It's the same idea as Isaiah that we just looked at. It's the same idea as abiding, okay? This is not just to be seen as some little exercise where you put this piece on and put that piece on and put that piece on, although we're called to do that. It's this idea of just being so enmeshed with this this power of God, this provision of God in our lives to help us walk in his victory. The armor of God is a perfect fit. It's a natural fit. Well, it's a supernatural fit, but it's the thing that gives us strength and is our strength. Don't ever, again, don't ever see this as something you have to do. See it as a resource that God has given us and wants to continue to give us. In other words, it's already been given to you. It's yours for the taking. Amen? It's yours. I'm going to skip verse 12 for a moment. We'll come back to it. So let's keep reading. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God 
so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. Now, if you notice that therefore, and you're asking the question, what is the therefore, therefore, we'll come back to it in verse number 12, I promise. But what I want to drive home here is, it almost sounds like, like Paul is repeating what he already said. He's, he's sounding a little bit redundant. Put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then he says, take up the armor of God. He's not repeating himself. He's being very, I think, Holy Spirit-led to use two very different words here because the idea that's being conveyed, take up, is, is different from put on. Again, Put on can sound like work I have to do. Oh, i got to put that on. And, and actually, again, the message literally, take up means. Pick up what's already been given to you so that you can use it like you're supposed to. Again, the emphasis of this passage is dress yourselves in the provision that God has already given you for victory. It's not about work. It's not about self-effort. It's wrapping yourself in that thing God gives us, his power, his strength. You see the difference? It, I think it's just so important that we get that. It's, it's like grace. It's like salvation. It's an absolute free gift, but it doesn't do you any good unless you believe and receive what Jesus has done for you, right? This is the same way. The armor is yours. It has great power, ability to protect you and empower you and strengthen you for the victory and the mission that God's called you to, but it doesn't do you any good unless you put it on, unless you take it up every single day. It's a free gift. It's God's part of God's provision for victory, but you need to pick it up and put it on. Maybe this will illustrate this for you, I hope, in, in, a, in a pretty understandable way. Let's say that it was announced that Pastor Kent was going to preach today, and it gets to be about 11.30, and I'm not here. And one of you goes to Austin and says, where is Kent? I thought he was speaking today. And Austin looks at you and says, well, Pastor Kent's at home. He's in his closet. He's waiting for his clothes to dress him. <laughs> Number one, you'd probably ask Austin never to have me speak again. But you see how ridiculous that is? My clothes are never going to dress me, and yet my clothes are a provision. I didn't have to, to make one of them. I didn't put one stitch in one piece of clothing that I have. I paid for some of them. That's where the analogy breaks down a little bit. But many of them were birthday presents and Christmas presents. It's the same way with this armor. It's something God has given you, but if you expect it to just kind of pop on you all by, yourself, all by itself, you are sadly mistaken. So, the lion's share of the work has been done by God, but we have to put it on. We have to take it up. Last thing I want you to notice before we go to verse number 12. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm Stand firm, therefore. First of all, resisting the devil and his schemes is God's will and desire for our lives. He wants to empower us to be able to do that. And he's equipped us with armor and other power gifts to do so. But ultimately, okay, ultimately, his desire, 
His plan, his purpose is to do more than resist. We're not just to resist. That's kind of a picture of I'm standing against this, this onslaught of wind and I'm doing everything I can not to have to backpedal and retreat. That's not the picture here. Three times in this little passage, we are told to do what? To stand firm. And again, it's not that picture of dig in and hope that you don't fall backwards. It's a call to do so much more than just hold your ground. It's a reminder to hold the position that you have in Jesus. And guess what? Jesus has already won the victory for you and me. That's what we need to stand firm in. Stand firm in the victory that is already ours. Do the math. Jesus has won the victory. We are in Jesus. Therefore, we have the victory. Now, you need to understand this, okay? I don't want that to sound pie in the sky or you're not dealing with reality there, Kent. When I talk about standing in the victory, we are either standing in that victory in this moment or we are standing firm believing that eventually the victory will be ours. And that is a promise from God's word. The victory may not appear instantaneously, but the victory will be ours. We have a saying around here that We've said for a lot of years, life is hard, God is good. Don't quit, we win. We may not win instantly, okay? But eventually, Christ's victory will be totally and completely ours. It may not manifest in its fullest form until Jesus comes again, returns to this earth and sets everything right, but it is either now or it is coming. It's a promise from Scripture. And that's why we stand firm. And that's why we continue to do so. We cannot lose if we do not quit. And so when we're encouraged to stand firm, it's standing firm in the victory that is ours or will be ours. As sure as God is true. All right, back to verse number 12. Why is the therefore there? Why do we need to take up the armor of God, to put on the armor of God? Why do we need to continue to stand firm? Here's why. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, I think it's a sad reality, but much of the church today, I believe, does not have enough awareness or acknowledgement or understanding of the spiritual battle that we are in. They try to diminish it or ignore it, pretend it's not happening. But it is real, church. It's real. Now, I'm not talking about being overly focused and hyper-focused on the battle. I think you can be guilty on that end of the spectrum as well. I was thinking this week about the Wizard of Oz. And as they're starting down the yellow brick road to Oz, and Dorothy is with uh, Scarecrow and the Tin Man, and she says, so what kind of things might we encounter on our trip? And they say, well, there's lions, tigers, and bears. And they start to, thank you, they start to focus on that, and before you know it, they're arming down, down the road going, lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. And they've worked themselves into a frenzy over this thing. God's not calling you and I to do that. 
devils and demons. and Oh, my. No. No. I remember there was a guy who came to town back in the 80s. Uh, he was doing a conference on spiritual warfare, and I will never forget this. He said one time, I don't see a demon under every bush. I see 50 of them. Yeah, oh, my. I'm thinking, buddy, you're giving way too much credit and way too much emphasis on the enemy. Now, I want to balance that with this. I think Scripture is incredibly clear that we are called to have a what I call a sober realization of this war that we're in. We need to know who the enemy is. We need to know how he operates. We need to know the kind of power he has, what his schemes look like, and what it takes to win. Because while the victory is assured, we are still called into this war to advance the kingdom and proclaim that victory and live that victory. And in order to do so, we have to be prepared to walk in the victory that God wants to give us. Now, always remember this, okay? Always remember this. When you think about spiritual warfare, the picture does not look like, hey, it's God over here and the devil over here, and then God's got angels and the devil has demons. That's a false picture, isn't it? You know what the right picture is? It's God. God alone. Over here, you got archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and there probably are some others. And then over here, on this lower level, is Lucifer. And then under him are demons, and under the archangels are angels. This is not a fair fight. We win. We win. The victory is ours, okay? God has won. The victory is ours. We'll either see it now again or it'll consummate in the end when Jesus comes again. But understand this. Paul is being very specific in verse number 12 to help us understand a bit of what we're up against here. We're up against rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What Paul's showing here is that there is a delegated, organized authority structure in the kingdom of darkness, okay? There is an intelligent, strategic army that we fight against. Now, the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But he pays attention and he's smart. And he looks at our lives and he sees what works. He sees the chinks in our armor. He knows where he's weak and that's where he attacks. And he's going to continue an attack there until we finally, that play doesn't work anymore. That's why it's imperative that in order to walk in victory, we get equipped and we understand the power of God that's available to us to walk in this victory that God wants to give us. But make no mistake, Paul is talking here about an organized army that is committed to trying to thwart the plans and purposes of God. They aspire to dominance and control in this world. And I personally believe, because pride was Lucifer's greatest sin, that there is a pride in the kingdom of darkness that will not admit defeat until this thing is all over and they're all thrown into the pit. Once and for all and forever, their pride causes them not to admit defeat. And so we are in, church, a very real struggle, a very real battle. When Paul says stand firm, he's talking about having an unwavering commitment to staying in this fight, to continue to advance God's kingdom, and to continue to be armed and equipped for the victory that is ours. But if you're not armed and equipped, it's going to be like standing in your closet waiting for your clothes to dress you. Ain't gonna 
happen, at least to the degree that God wants us to walk in his victory. Okay, so that brings me to a, a, what I, I, I'm so excited about this, and I think it's so timely in terms of an opportunity that I want to share with you today as I, as I wrap this up. Something that's coming this fall and this winter, all right? It's an opportunity, to be, an opportunity to be better equipped and more effective in operating in the power of God in your life. Before I tell you exactly what that is, let me just share a little, little background info with you on this, okay? Uh, back in the, the mid to late 80s, I had a vision from the Lord. And I, I've had three of these in my life, okay? So I'm not one to just, oh yeah, I had a vision. Oh, what's the vision of the day, Kent? No, I've had three of these, and I'm convinced that they're real. But God gave me a vision about our church and how he wants it to operate. What were to be the, the focal points for our church, and what were his priorities? What were we called to emphasize and, and build upon to, to live out our faith in a way that's pleasing to him? And I saw this picture. It was a picture of the Star of David, and there's a little more to it than I'm going to share with you today. But on that star, I saw, starting at 12 o'clock, at the top, I saw the words discipleship, empowerment, service, intimacy, relationship, and evangelism. Discipleship has to do with uh, training and growing in the Word of God and growing in our, our Christian maturity and our Christ-likeness, how important that is. Empowerment is talking about functioning, walking in the power of God so that we are walking in victory in this, this spiritual war that we're in. Service is about using your spiritual gifts and your talents both inside the church and out in the community to be a blessing to others. Intimacy is all about our vertical relationship with God, the importance of prayer, quiet time, worship, so that we are deepening our fellowship and relationship with God himself. Relationship talks more on the horizontal plane, the importance of being in community with other believers. When Robin talks about the importance of, of groups, small groups, that's part of what we're after, a vehicle, a way to help us grow in relationship with one another. And then finally, evangelism, which obviously includes missions. It's the process of reaching out and making disciples so that people can be involved in this process of, of growing in the Lord. Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but if you start at the top and go around that circle, the first letter of each of those words spells the word desire. And I felt like God clearly spoke to my heart and said, Kent, this is my desire for this church. Now, I'm no longer the lead pastor here, but I, I want to tell you something, and you can go ask him on your own. But Austin and I have had long talks about this in the whole transition process, and I not one time have had to convince him, hey, this is what our church is supposed to be all about, buddy. This is ingrained in him as well, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that, okay? But this is what Good Shepherd, this is the heartbeat. This is the core of, of, of who we are in so many ways. This acts as a compass for us, okay? It, it helps us figure out and understand our theology and the ministries that we do and the mission that we have and the, the practices of our church and, and our priorities. With a compass like this, there are different times and different seasons when one thing is going to be elevated in terms of being a focal point or being the thing that we focus upon or, or concentrate on in a given season of time. We believe that we're entering into a season where empowerment really needs to take on greater focus, especially with our world being in the mess that it's in. Have you noticed that the world is a mess? 
It's, it's an awful, terrible mess. And I believe, we believe, that the church, our church specifically, and God's people need to have a greater understanding of God's power and become more fully operational in living in and walking out the power of God in our lives. Our world has lost its way, hasn't it? We've, we've lost our moorings. Uh, but I want you to understand something. This is not a political issue at its core. Politics are involved. A lot of different things are involved. But at the core, this is a spiritual issue. And this is a spiritual war that is manifesting in front of our very eyes. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to equip his church to know how to walk in the power of God, not so that we can rise above the fray and be victorious for ourselves. Church, we are the lifeboat for a drowning world. And we have to know how to walk in God's power to meet them in those places of need where their lives are so a mess. And I don't think it's sufficient to just try to explain to them an understanding of who Jesus is. They need a Jesus with some power. They need a Jesus who can make a difference in the mess that their life is. Whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, uh, work, wh whatever is going on. They need a God with power and God needs people who walk in that power who can show them the victory that can be theirs in Jesus. Amen? And, and so I'm so excited. This fall I've been commissioned, I guess that's the right word, this fall and this winter to teach two courses on empowerment. Part one is going to start in the fall, and there's two options, okay? There's a Sunday option, and the same thing will, repeat it, will be repeated on Wednesday. The Sunday option is 7.30 in the morning. My Lord, Kent, does anybody get up that early? I do, and I'm sure some of you do, or at least some of the first service people do. Anyhow, there's no child care for that one, but the Wednesday one, which will be at 6 p.m., will have child care. So the Sunday one is going to run September 27th through... Uh, November 15th, and the Wednesday one will be September 23rd through November 11th. That's eight weeks, okay? And in that, um, we're going to talk very specifically about the kingdom of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. My heart in this is to take away the weirdness, okay? Because a lot of people hear power of God, spiritual gifts, and it's like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. That's weird, I'm telling you, there is biblical precedence for this being normative among believers. And so I'm going to show you from God's word. We're going to have testimony. We're going to have stories that show normal people function and flow in God's power and what a difference it can make in people's lives. A difference, again, that people radically need. I want, I want us as a church to become more naturally supernatural. And I want us to see that, that God operating in power to change lives is, is way more normative maybe than we ever thought it was. Part number two will have the same time frame in terms of eight Sundays and eight Wednesdays. You'll see all the dates um, on the slide and you'll be hearing more about that. But part number two is going to talk a lot more specifically about healing. Okay, And it's going to have a lot more clinic, practical, practice time within it. Um, in both of these, we're going to deal with the hard questions and the obstacles. And we're not going to um, skirt anything. We're going to get 
right down to talking about the issues in this. Because again, I think the Bible can stand on its own and for itself in terms of us realizing this is real. And this is God's heart for us as his people. So um, keep paying attention to gsc.info and other ways that we communicate. There will be opportunities to sign up coming. Um, depending on what COVID does, we may have to limit the size of the classes. If that's the case, I am willing to teach this again down the road. One of the things in my heart, and I, I want to say this, I mean, long timers at Good Shepherd are more than welcome to come to this, but I really want to see a lot of our new, newer people and younger couples take a part in these classes because the future of our church let's face it, it's going to be the generation behind me and many of you. And God wants them equipped in this. All right. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. So I, whether you stand firm or not, I'd like you to stand at this moment, okay? Because I, I want to pray for you. And I want to bless you. And I want you to get yourself in a posture of reception. I don't know if that's bowing your head, putting your hands out open to receive from the Lord. But... Um, I want you to raise your hand if you're um, a teacher or a student at Thompson Valley. And keep it up just for a second if you're a, a teacher or a student at any other of our schools. Okay, you, you can put them down. I'm going to start by praying for you. Father, I'm just asking right now that um, that word, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, would resonate in every teacher and student that's a part of our church. God, that they would not be Thompson Valley strong or Loveland High strong or Eagle Power or Indian Power or anything, but they would, they would understand the great need to be strong in you and in your power. And I pray that every one of them would, would have revelation of your calling on their lives to walk in that strength and power and that they would lean into you for that strength and power and that they would see this school year as something so much more than just an opportunity to learn or to teach but that they would see and seize opportunities to make a difference in their schools, that you would empower them to live and to share the gospel, the reality of who Jesus is with their students and classmates. I pray that, Lord, for every person in this place that is involved in the community somewhere, that you would give us a humble boldness, that we would walk in great humility, but that we would be bold to declare the truth of the gospel, and that as we are trained and equipped to walk in more of the power of God, that we would not be timid or shy in terms of praying for people, talking to them about their issues, not because we got something, but because you're something in us, and you are the answer to their needs. I pray, Lord, you'd increase uh, the hunger and the desire within us to understand and to operate more fully in your power, that we would be equipped in this new, excuse me, in this new year. And anything that stands in the way that says, oh, that's weird, that's not for me, that, that you would melt that away and our hearts would be open to all that you have for us. Help us with fear, with apprehension, with the roadblocks that the enemy would, would want to put up. And Lord, finally, I pray for people today who are here, who are in a battle, who are in a hard spot, and uh, they feel like it's all they can do to stand. Would you come and pour out grace upon their lives, and would you give them courage to believe and receive the victory that you have for them? Would you manifest that victory soon, or would you give them great grace to stand firm, waiting for the victory that is theirs? 
thank you, God, for your goodness today, for this um, exciting season that we're entering into, learning more about and operating more fully and efficiently in your power. Lord, we're not doing this for us. We're doing this to be more effective for the kingdom's sake, for Jesus' sake, for the sake of the gospel. In his name we pray. Amen. 